Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Leila Latif. I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Hannah Strong. On the show this week, David and Hannah will be catching us up on the Berlin Film Festival and we'll be looking at two very different versions of futuristic space travel in Dune Part 2 and Spaceman. We also have some absolutely incredible interviews from Dune's director Denis Villeneuve and Spaceman stars Adam Sandler and Paul Dano, all coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So, should we start with the with the good news? We're back to weekly. Hooray! <laughs> I need that like cheering children sound okay. sound effects. <laughs> yeah, Bob, put in a sort of like roar of 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 of, of approval into in, in there from the from the sound effects box. Yeah, I mean, there's been a few gaps, but we I think we've been able to keep the standard going, and hopefully, like our listeners have been uh, forgiving us for the odd week where we haven't had one. But from now on, yeah, every Friday you can expect Truth and Movies to be landing in your podcast app of choice uh slightly more less straightforwardly good news the berlin film festival um shall we start with the positives uh you guys both went um yeah what, what, what were your highlights well, I guess before talking about the highlights, it's probably worth mentioning at time of recording, it's it's kind of difficult to be talking about like the films and the filmmakers at, at the festival at the moment because, you know, of you know, listeners, I don't I'm not you know, I'm not sure how much awareness there will be about what's happening over there but there was a kind of press release sent out i guess after the festival had officially closed if you if you count the kind of award, the final award ceremony as a kind of closing moment that kind of brought up some of the the speeches and and some of the political activity at the festival in a way that was very unhelpful and very antithetical to the intended spirit of the Berlin Film Festival. And, you know, to my feeling, all, all film festivals, uh, you know, film festivals are a forum for ideas. And this kind of thing that happened, you know, very much goes against that and, and you know, puts insults quite a lot of the filmmakers who have who have used used the, the Berlinale as a platform to present ideas, not least, you know, filmmakers like Matty Diop, whose film Dahomey won the the Golden Bear this year. And, you know, it is an amazing film about 
the strategies of, of decolonization and really kind of developing language to be able to talk about these traumatic legacies and repatriation and uh, things like that and specifically involving like artifacts that were taken from Benin in the 1980s and then took a took a long time for the sort of bureaucracy to agree for them to be returned and the film is a kind of chronicle of that return and that is that is done in this very creative discursive open way uh you know the film itself is this kind of or that the, there is an implicit stance about what it feels about this how you know the taking and returning of these artifacts and the symbolism of, of of the artifacts journey but it's very much a film about the different ideas and opinions that come from such a journey and fr- from this idea of like bringing these back to the place that they that they belong so yeah like it's weird. I mean, in in a way, it's a very positive sign that a film like that would be awarded one of the biggest prizes in film, but then makes this kind of statement that happened post festival even even more kind of strange and, and and hurtful in a way. So, yeah, it's been strange. But I'll I'll, I'll pass the baton to Hannah because she was also there. So I've I've talked a bit about Matty and what a great film that is. Yeah, I didn't actually get to see Dahomey because I couldn't make it work in my schedule, but um, I'm very excited to see it. I heard only good things, and I, I, I thought Matty's speech, um, her winner's speech, was really, like, I don't know, it feels, it feels so weird to use the word brave because it's making a speech, but at this point we've got to a stage where it is brave for filmmakers to speak out because so few people are able to or people feel very afraid to because they don't want to jeopardise work, relationships, whatever, but... Yeah, um, I, I'm excited to see that. Um, my kind of personal highlight was the film uh, La Cocina, which is by Alfonso Rui Palacros, I think is how you say it. I, I, I might be wrong, um, and I apologise for that. He's a Mexican filmmaker, um, been to Bernal quite a few times, and this is a sort of um, dual language feature. It's kind of in Spanish and English, and it's about uh, the lunchtime rush at this new york tourist trap restaurant and it's about the kind of back of house staff the chefs and the waitresses and their kind of interactions and at the same time there's kind of these different subplots going on so there's um some money that's gone missing and the manager is trying to kind of find out what happened and there's um a new waitress who's just started and is kind of she doesn't speak any english and is kind of trying to figure out how to integrate herself and then there's this love story going on in kind of the middle of it all between this uh chef pedro who's very combustible very charming uh played by raul briones carmona who is like fantastic i think should have probably won the uh the award for best actor at the festival but whatever and uh, uh the waitress julia who's played by rooney mara and yeah i just i just found it really invigorating it's two hours 19 minutes i think and i was a bit like oh god this is gonna be a long one <laughs> um because at a film festival especially when it starts at like nine o'clock 10 o'clock at night you're like god this is gonna really like take the life out of me but i i didn't find that at all i thought it was just a really like engrossing and like kinetic take on not only cooking but kind of the immigrant dream and the kind of fallacies of the immigrant dream and yeah it's based on this play by uh, Arnold Wesker from like the 50s which was set in London so the kind of 
transposition of, of that plate into like an American setting. The viewers won't be able to see this, but I'm gesturing with my hands so much right now. This is why we need a video podcast. Yeah, I just I just found it like really brilliant. And it's been picked up by Pitch House. So people will get to see it over here, which is great. Because I, yeah, I just had such a good time with it. And if you like the bear and boiling point, then get ready for <laughs> the most stressful um beautifully shot uh, kitchen movie that's uh, kind of come along in recent years yeah i i really liked it and on the kind of note of the festival you know the the statement they released and the fact they're trying to prosecute members of their own staff for quote unquote misusing social media um it's just like berlin has always berlinale has always kind of prided itself on being you know this really like liberal festival they were one of the first to like recognize queer cinema in um the teddy award and they have like gender neutral categories now for like acting awards and having you know i've, I've lived in that city like berlinale is one of the first like, maybe the first festival i ever attended and it's so obviously like this feels particularly like kind of horrible to me because i love the city so much and i love the the people there so much and you know i think it's just so kind of galling to see some something that you love betray you in such a way and to be used for these like political purposes by the government and although we all kind of know that like these institutions do heavily rely on like government funding and that's true for like pretty much every major film festival um you still kind of want to hope that there's like some autonomy and that they are allowed to kind of speak truth to power and that's just it doesn't feel like that's what's happening at all especially considering that we know that like panorama encounters and forum the kind of sidebar sections of berlin are have all released statements saying that they are in support of palestine and you know that they've tried their hardest to kind of speak out and yet the institution itself is like you know threatening to prosecute them and saying and like agreeing with the mayor of berlin when he's saying that like matty diop was like wrong to speak out and it's just so like you know incredibly depressing and i'm very grateful to the people that did kind of speak up there was a lot of activity on the ground from film workers for palestine and from some of the kind of people involved in the films like raul briones carmona kind of made a statement on i think i don't know if they mentioned it in the press conference but definitely on the red carpets was like wearing a kefir and like had like free palestine kind of i think a bracelet on as well and um i i think there's this film in that played in the generation section um last swim and the filmmakers behind that um had signs that said free palestine so i'm very grateful that some people did kind of use their platform to speak up because i think like even in this kind of hostile environment that the festival had cultivated exactly and if the institutions aren't going to do it then you know i feel like we the critics you know the the people going to the cinemas and the filmmakers and the actors and everyone like we we kind of have to so yeah <laughs> uh, I, I maybe maybe my final one for a while, which is a shame. But I, yeah, I just F- don't final see thing how... to say is that we're we're, we're going <laughs> to probably do a lo- a bit more on this in the next magazine yeah this which, which we're sort of like tinkering with currently and uh, will be coming down the chute sort of n- middle of next month well that's something to look forward to at least i mean it's just, it's deep it's, it's just deeply depressing that you know we're not able to be here and just kind of focus on all the wonderful films and filmmakers that you know are showcasing their art I, I i think that moment between 
um, you know, the team behind No Other Land where, you know, I, I haven't seen the film, but I watched the speech and, you know, it's, it's the Israeli filmmaker Yuval Abraham and his Palestinian colleague Basil Adra. And just sharing the stage in such like a really beautiful moment of acknowledging each other's humanity and like the idea that that could be in any ways weaponized against them is bone chilling. The fact that like, like that was described as anti-Semitic, like you're going to tell a Jewish filmmaker that he's being anti-Semitic. It, it really does like blow your mind, the kind of hoops that have been jumped through to get to these like these leaps of logic and to how any festival could program that film and then turn around and say, oh, actually... <laughs> well, it, you it know, just, yeah. it really does speak of a kind of a, maybe an unspoken chasm between the programmers, the, you know, the actual kind of people who love film and art and engage with the world and the kind of bureaucracy who want to see, you know, who, who are setting the rules and want to see kind of numbers in a spreadsheet. Well, before we all kind of spiral fully into despair, more trouble in the Middle East in June part two. <laughs> <laughs> Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member who receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to our Steady HQ page for a detailed breakdown of the plans. Now on to the movies. June Part 2 follows the mythic journey of Paul Atreides as he unites with Chani and the Fremen whilst on a warpath of revenge against the conspirators who destroyed his family. Facing a choice between the love of his life and the fate of the known universe, he endeavours to prevent a terrible future only he foresees. But before we got into the film, here's David Jenkins talking to Denis Villeneuve. Thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your very busy schedule to, to talk to us for this podcast. My pleasure. I guess my so congratulations on the on the on the movie. Thank um, you. I, I, I loved it, and um, I love the first one as well. And it's a rare example of a a sequel that kind of delivers on the, the the original one as well. I mean, from that the production process of making this second film. How much of the work had you done with the first one? Did you feel like the first film had sort of set the template for the second one, or the, the, were the, you kind of going back, back the, to the it's, drawing it's, board? It's a good, it's a good question. The, the, the first movie technically was a massive rehearsal to make the the the, the, the real movie, which was the from the, the second one, because the 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 first one. There, first of all, we had more time in pre-production for the the, 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 the research and development of part one was long. Uh, I'm talking about the, the visual effects. Uh, the, for the music, that's we did numerous amount of camera tests. Uh, uh, there was like it was like a the part one was a huge laboratory, and that uh, gave. And once we found all the answers, when we went into part two, we had already all those decisions that were being made about the the, the which the, what were the, the the cinematic language that we would use, the the, the, the rhythm, the camera work, the, the camera style, uh, the all the again the the, the VFX department that had. had, had Done tremendous amount of, of uh, tools to, uh, to 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 be able to create those VFX, and so it's like we were like uh, we had that toolbox ready. Mm -hmm. And and uh, uh, my production designer Patrice Vermet had uh, already started to design uh, part two because we were projecting in the future. Like when we were starting to describe the Fremen world uh, to ourselves, uh, we we wanted to know where we were going. 
uh, or just for the hour. I mean, so like the siege, sieges or, or the temples or, or, or the development of ornithopters or, or, or what Gaty Prime could look like or to the Patrice was our dreaming forward. You know, he was like already in the future. Uh, and and then, so we were like a, a step ahead when started the, the, the pre-production of, of part two. Well, I guess that's really handy to know where you're going in advance. Absolutely. So, like, yeah, yeah. That's it. When I did part one, I, I had a, a blueprint of what the screenplay will be for part two. Of course, it was like there was like a plan, even if the, the, it was not absolutely finished. It's, uh, and the same for my team. My, I, I, I will say that they, they were more advanced in a way because we we were. Uh, I, I, as I was reading this, the screenplay, I knew exactly how things would look like because we we knew we had designed it already. So, so I'd love to know about the uh, if you could talk a little bit about the the practicalities of of shooting in the desert. The first film was is more kind of I guess it, it covers more kind of interior space mm-hmm. in kind of castles and I don't know if you call that that's not a castle, but you know, yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, like yeah. sort of big, huge, huge kind of monument buildings. And this one, you're kind of is is the more kind of is the sort of nature the yin to the to the kind of urban yang of the first one. Mm. And I'd love to know just what is your strategy for shooting in the desert for for capturing the vastness. But it's it's a uh, it's a uh, when I embarked on this journey, I had one condition was which was to to shoot in real environments that I, I will not shoot this movie in, on in front of green screen in a studio or. The, or on the back lot, I, 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 as I had been suggested by, uh, I said, no, no, I, 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 want, I said to everybody, I, I, if I'm doing this, I'm going uh, deep in the desert for real because it's a, it's a, uh, the book is about the, the relationship between the, the, the humans and, and the ecosystems and the impact of, of those ecosystems of the, the environment on, on, on humans uh, that, that develops the, their psyche, the religions, uh, techniques, etc., etc. And, and it's like uh, I wanted to feel the power of the desert and that you, it, would, it would have been absolutely impossible to bring back the, 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 this, uh, these uh, images home without having been there for real. Uh, it's, uh, it was, I think, uh, uh, even with the perfection of, of uh, visual effects, you still need to capture reality in order to be, to the audience perceive it. You feel it when it's real on camera. You, you physically know that it, it it's um it's the real thing and, and that uh, you're 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 somewhere back in your conscious you 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 perceive it and and and, and uh, when you make a sci-fi film the power of nature is your strongest ally oh absolutely and and i i understand that you were shooting some, some of the some of the scenes that were shot at kind of magic hour as well mm-hmm. And can you tell me a bit about shooting in that at that time and what the what the value of it aesthetically and emotionally is? But the thing is that it's linked with the the the, the story we're telling uh, talking about is that it's that these people uh, uh, try to avoid uh, uh, the middle of the day because the planet becomes too hot. You know, it's like dangerous for humans to be outside. And you have to walk outside. And we see some characters that are like uh, uh, not fit for the desert that you need to wear some kind of spacesuit. To, to be able to evolve in the, the such harsh uh, environment. So the, the native people that are, are used to to uh, be on Arrakis, use are, uh, that are from Arrakis are, are, are most of the time travel by night or will, will be outside uh, the, just at, at, the, at the day breaks uh, or at sunset. I mean, that's uh, uh, where they are uh, uh, traveling. 
and uh, but to do so, uh, it was It means that we will have to uh, work in very specific light conditions, and I insisted also with Greg to to lose, use that we will use exclusively uh, uh, natural light, the sunlight, to bring that level of realism and that sensation. And how's that? How does that work with IMAX cameras? It's not a problem with the IMAX cameras, but it's definitely a problem for the schedule <laughs> because it means that you you will uh, uh, if you do a dialogue between two characters that and uh, of course uh, that. Uh, a dialogue will necessarily take a couple of hours to shoot and you have a window of time that uh, will be maybe 20 minutes where you can shoot. So it means that you have to break that scene over many days in order to keep the sun, the continuity of the sunlight from one shot to the other, which means that the actors will need to perform and find back the exact emotional state where we are shooting over many days. And that uh, uh, requires a lot of... Uh, of uh, uh, a focus of, for the actors and for myself to be able to convey a, a feeling of pure con- emotional continuity between the shots that are being shot among several days. It's even get even more tricky when we did some action sequence because uh, uh, I didn't want to make any compromises. The landscape and the logic of the landscape and the the the, the element, the dramatic elements that I was looking in the landscape required that we will shoot. Scenes in different and places, sometimes ten, twelve different places, in order to have perfect shots, uh, but uh, 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 at specific time of the day, in order to create that visual continuity and that that uh, um, aesthetic quality we were looking for, it, it was like a puzzle. It was really a, a, a puzzle for my uh, first assistant here. Talking of the action scenes, for me, what, you know, there's, there was something the spectacle and the uniqueness of them make just give gives the film this this real sense of like a, a, i guess a wow factor as well and in particular i love the fact that you're kind of that when you have like for instance when there is this sort of siege on the uh, spice harvester you kind of you have all these planes of vision and you have like things blowing up in the background and and the, the human characters are often the people who are in focus and the and the and the and you see the the machines mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, that the, they're almost sort of like details in the landscape. And, I, and that's purely my inter- visual interpretation of, of watching the film. But I'd love for you to talk, talk about like how, how you deal with the spectacle in the film, because the, the, you know, the, the action scenes are, are immense. But the thing is that uh, um, it's a very basic rule. But uh, I, first of all, in the screenplay, we try our best to make sure that the, 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 through the action there will always be a precise story that is being conveyed. You do it, the action is almost secondary. It's like a, it's there to as, as a, to create momentum, but the, through each action sequence you have like a, 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 a precise a, a, a emotional beat that the character will go through, and and that it's not just action for the sake of action. There's really like a, each has its own meaning, if I can say, and. Uh, um, from there, uh, uh, it means that, of course, if I approach those action sequences like a, a, a dramatic sequence, it's like uh, then the, the center of attention will be, of course, the character that is going through this. This, uh, and I will make sure that as as the the, the scene evolves, that we are following uh, uh, this character and, and his emotional journey through this sequence. So it means that he's going to be a foreground, and uh, and now I will say also that. Dune is a sci-fi movie, but it's it's a, the, the, all the technical aspects are, are a bit in the background. 
uh, the focus is always the characters. It's true. I mean, that's interesting you say that because another sort of thing that I, I felt while watching it was that I was less thinking about kind of classic sci-fi movies and more about kind of things like David Lean or Sergio Leone mm. and, and these kind of like epic desert films that are like historical adventure films. And I wondered if those type of films like a Lawrence of Arabia had ever... Lawrence of Arabia is an uh, uh, uh I cannot pretend that it was not a major influence on the making of this film because the book itself, The Seven Pillars of Wisdom, I think in English, which is is a, a, a book that influenced uh, Frank Herbert for to to write uh, Dune. The the, uh, the probably even I, the the book came out after the movie, so I'm sure that, that there was some influence uh, even in the film that. that uh, uh, had an impact on Herbert, uh, the uh, story of Lawrence of Arabia, and then Paul Atreides are, uh, has uh, some strong similarities. So uh, it's, of course, uh, uh, I have, I have, I have, I have, and as a, as a film student, I still remember today how I felt once the curtain, the lights went on after watching Lawrence of Arabia on 70mm alone in a, in a theater in Montreal. I, it was one of the most powerful. Um, theatrical experience, a cinephile experience of my life. And it, it's a master class into uh, uh, cinema language. And uh, um, the way uh, David Lean used the power of nature to express uh, the power of that nature, how the impact on the psyche of the character and and, uh, and how he, the, he was able to create a perfect equilibrium between the emotional journey of Lawrence and and and, and uh, uh, all the geopolitics in, in the film still amaze me today, and of course, is a massive influence. Can I talk about the um, the role the role of Paul Atreides and Timothy's uh, performance as well? Um, I love this. I love this aspect of the film where um, Paul. I mean, and this is very much from the book that he, you know, he's not a, a kind of cut and dried hero, and that he, you know, he, he although he is kind of being presented as this messiah and may well be this messiah there is that you're, you're you you sort of bring in the sense of ambiguity about him and and his kind of onward journey and i'd love i'd love to, to for you to, to to talk a bit about how you work with timothy to get the kind of fine tuning of the of that character because it's so it's so detailed and i think there is a sort of hints of like malevolence there and that are hidden under the kind of charisma and the heroism the thing is that uh I have to go back in time very... Uh, when the first book was released, Frank Herbert, from what I understood, was disappointed the way the, 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 the book was perceived, the way Paul Atreides was per- perceived by readers, where they, they, it seems that at the time people were seeing this as a celebration of a hero and he wanted to do the radical opposite, which was like a cautionary tale about charismatic figures. He wanted the Dune to be a warning. And for that, uh, in order to... Uh, to correct that uh, uh, and to make sure that people will understand his idea, he went and wrote an epilogue, a tiny book called Dune Messiah, to, to try to make sure that people understand that. <laughs> it, it, and, and and me knowing that story, it that it was the main influence. How I will uh, uh, do this adaptation, trying to be less face, less less faithful to the book, more fa- absolutely faithful to Frank Herbert's initial intention to do a. Uh, uh, that the movie will be as he is intended uh, uh, a warning 
and a, a critic of, 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 of uh, colonization and of the idea of, of uh, cult, the, the leaders that uh, create cult of, uh, of fanatism. Of, uh, and uh, it was important that uh, uh, Paul Atreides will, uh, uh, because of the decision he's facing and the, the choice he's making, will uh, become slowly what he was afraid to, what he was fighting against. And, and, and uh, uh, um, he will, um, in order to survive and protect the people he loves, he will have to do, make decisions that uh, will uh, uh, um, create tremendous chaos. And, 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 and it's um, a tragi tragic figure. It becomes a tragic figure that the movie becomes a, a tragedy. And, and for me, that was the most interesting. And in fact, it was fundamental to go in that direction. Yeah. And that's the, the and, and, and in order to do so, I uh, use the power of uh, two female characters that uh, kind of go in the, into the background in the in the, in the, the book, and uh, but I, I, I bring the, kept them at the surface of, and, and kept them as main protagonist in the story, which are uh, Lady Jessica and Shani, who helped me to create uh, uh, critical distance with Paul's character and express specific, more specifically Shani to express uh, what I want to say uh, with that story, and. Uh, I didn't answer to your question, I'm sorry, about Paul Atreides, about Timothy Chalamet. Timothy is a very brilliant uh, uh, young man, and, and uh, since even in part one, knew exactly the trajectory where we were going and, and what we had to establish at the beginning, uh, that kind of calm door and open-minded and, and flexibility of his character, capacity of adaptation and, and sincerity that uh, I think that Paul really wants to help the Fremen. He really wants to, he's sincere in it and, 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 and there's like a slowly uh, uh, progressive uh, cynicism that uh, and, and, uh, realizes that he will have to, to face his faith and, and, and become something that he was trying to fight against. Thank you so much for your time. It was lovely speaking to you. So, uh, David, I mean, some of the criticism around Dune 1, which is a film I absolutely adored, uh, was that it just felt like half of a film. Um, do you think this, this sequel kind of suffers from the same thing? Are we watching essentially just one film with a chunky interval? I mean, it's, it's interesting how the, two, like, the film picks up at the exact spot where the first one leaves off. So it's, it's very much a kind of like chronological continuation of the storyline from that point you, you you know you may complain about that but so many films have done that in the history of cinema where you kind of it, you know it's like an intended trilogy or like a sequel you know it's intended to part away it has to leave it a, 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 a kind of slight cliffhanger moment that is going to kind of bring you back and i think the the thing with that has, has plagued people who have made dune have adapted the, the the novel June is this idea of like what you know how do you partition it you know what how do we present it like you know, the Lynch version in in eight, in nineteen eighty four is very flawed in that you kind of I mean the, well the version that that Dino De Laurentiis kind of sliced back is this kind of two and a half hour real truncation of the book to to an almost comic degree where where it's like you feel like everything is being told in this kind of super fast 
and you know slightly chaotic montage and then you've got like the various tv series well there was yeah sorry there was a tv series made of it as well which is just deathly dull and it's just way too long and you're like oh my god will this thing hurry up and then i think what denny's villeneuve has done with these two films is kind of i think he's sort of found a happy medium between the two so we've got sort of two fairly chunky features that are kind of getting the best out of the book not being too literal adaptations and try, you know trying to sort of get as much in as possible and i think that with with these two dune films you have the most balanced version in terms of like this is this is a fun epic to sit through and it's getting a lot of the stuff from the book but it's not you know it's not going too over the top or it's not going too quick so so yeah this the the, the what we get in this part two is like roughly from like you know it's, it's roughly the the whole second half of the novel um you get all the freaky stuff the novel for me is a little bit more psychedelic you know it's got this kind of long passages of like you know psychedelic prose when paul and his mother take the the water of life which is this kind of serum that is that is extracted from the baby sandworms and there's a really amazing scene where you where you see that that process happening and it's kind of it's this blue liquid that's like poisonous for most people but if you if you have some like godly gene then you know you can you you can withstand it and you and you transcend uh which which is what paul does but yeah it's a really kind of measured film i mean i think that you know there's so so much to say about it but that I could go on forever, but like I think maybe I'll I'll pass the baton on to to Hannah. Oh, Hannah, I mean, so many things to ask you, but you know how much I love Rebecca Ferguson, and she's such a delightful weirdo in this film. I mean, oh, yeah. what did you think of the sort of supporting performances? I mean, she's essentially playing a different character, but we're also getting new characters in the form of Christopher Walken and Florence Pugh, and uh, you know Zendaya really gets a lot more time in the sun. Yeah, it's such a stacked cast, isn't it? Like, I remember when it was announced, it was kind of like, oh my God, how many celebrities can you fit into this bad boy? Especially when um, at the premiere, the London premiere, they were like, surprise, Anya Taylor-Joy is in this as well. And everyone was like, what? Another one? Yeah, no, I mean, they kind of make it, especially because Paul, I think, is not like that exciting of a character. In fact, I remember my letterbox review for the first one was like, I love how everyone else reacts to Paul, just like Michael Bluff in um, uh, Arrested Development when he sees George Michael's girlfriend. He's like, her? Like, that's how everyone feels about Paul in June. They're like, him? Oh, okay. Um, Apart from Javier Badem, who was just like, I love this guy. Like, the second, like, he meets him. And I did enjoy throughout this film, like, Layla was sat next to me. So I think you you would agree with me that every time he opened his mouth, it's just, like, hilarious. Like, he just has all these, like, kind of very funny little kind of moments where, like, Paul does something and he's just like, oh, he's the Messiah. Like, and it's, it's just really funny. He's like, oh, it's I'm very... not the Messiah. Oh, that's what the Messiah would say. <laughs> ah, here's the ultimate it, stand. <laughs> it's literally like Life of Brian levels of kind of like comedy from uh, Javier Bardem. He's great. Um, and yeah, no, I very, very much enjoyed everyone else. I, I liked Zendaya um, in kind of what I think is like a bit of a, a wandy I mean, I've not read Dune, so sorry all the Dune stands, but like, I don't know, some of these characters don't seem, they all seem kind of like, you know, just a sort of like cog in a machine rather than like three-dimensional people, uh, which is, you know, fine. I think it's it's all symbolism, isn't it? But um, yeah, I, I liked her. I liked, um, I thought Austin Butler did a really good job as uh, F- Fade R- R- Rother, Fade Rother. 
anyway, the, the bold psychopath is what is how we should just accurately describe him. Um, he's doing this like voice, which is like it's not Elvis, it's not Austin Butler, it's a secret third thing, and um, he's really good. I would watch a movie that's just him like being a creepy dude, like just a kinky little freak, him, <laughs> creep, creep, creepy little guy feeding humans to his like weird harem fetish dolls, women <laughs> fetish dolls. Yeah, <laughs> I actually think we could have done with more of him. Because he basically has two scenes. And they're great scenes, but like it's, yeah, he's just really fun. He's clearly having such a good time because he's so used to being like brooding, handsome guy. And in this, they're like, no, nah, just be a little freak. And he, that's exactly what he is. He's like Nick Holt in uh, Mad Max Fury Raid levels of like unselfconscious. And I, I just, I just very here for it. I think he's really good. And then, yeah, like Florence Pugh is there. Uh, like, it's, it, she's well, she good. was there she's so she couldn't like... be on the press store for don't worry darling lest you forget <laughs> yeah it's so funny they were like oh she's she's just like june 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 she's got all these scenes to record for june and then she's in it for like i don't know maybe 15 minutes max she's important like she's very important to the story but she's not in it an awful lot but whatever it's fine um yeah i mean and obviously rebecca ferguson is great yeah like you say she gets a completely different character in this she's much more like ooky spooky lady than uh, in the first one she was kind of just being like maternal but stern mother presence and this she's like i am the i don't know what what she's called like the mother of god benny jesuit no 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 she's got a special like a, a name hasn't she yeah <laughs> like a special name you know what i mean reverend mother yeah but i thought they called her something else oh see i need to watch it again i would quite happily watch it again which again like that for a film that is two and a half hours, for me to be like, fuck yeah, let's go again. It's, it's, that doesn't happen that often. And I didn't start on Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin's great. Like, so, yeah. You know, I, I actually think that there, there's an interesting, like one of the things I really like about this film is that I think, you know, you hinted at it, but you do, like the characters change so much from from the first one. Like, I mean, obviously we, we get like the Paul Atreides arc where, you know, in the first one, he's a sort of like, slightly whingy little bitch who doesn't really uh <laughs> you know who, who 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 doesn't really get what's going on and and there there is a sense of him being a little bit of a kind of entitled weed and 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 only by the end does he kind of show that he he is actually kind of has has some kind of worth to him and then yeah he goes he goes on this kind of journey of of like being like well am i this this like messiah figure that everyone is is talking about i think it's really interesting not only how he deals with that idea of like, well, I may not be it, but I can use it for, for for good. And I can use it to kind of like create, you know, do this big fight back, which is which is basically my kind of purpose here, because you know, I want I want revenge on the Harkonnen invasion of of and, and just destruction of my people. And I actually think that Zendaya, like, you know, you have these characters who are introduced as like, oh, Zendaya, she's the love interest. But then by the time a little bit of that story is played out, it kind of like moves off into this different direction where you really feel that she quite, you know, she's starting to resent him because she's got her own ideas about well, this is the reasons why we should be doing this thing. And then, you know, Rebecca Ferguson as well, you know, she's she's like a like once she drinks the the crazy juice. She's a completely different character, and she's got. She her, gets blue pills. Yeah, she does. She does really get blue pilled, and it and it is you know there is a kind of like what's what's fun about this film is that it has this kind of you know it, it, it's it's very quote unquote relevant to to you know lots of kind of geo, geopolitical ructions and modern philosophy and 
and and and also quite a lot of pop culture and so and sociology as well and this idea of like conspiracy theories and the, the sort of pu- puppets behind the puppets behind the puppets uh talking of which you know just on the note of the of the supporting cast you know want to rep for for christopher walken um <laughs> do you though big big, big chris it, it's okay. his, it's his like first film in like four years it's yeah i i found you know him playing the emperor of the known universe quite quite moving i thought and uh yeah I, I, it was it was nice to see him back i did think like dave batista could have been given a bit more to do in this because i think he's so good in that role he has like one really good scene but i mean this is the problem like there's so many great players in this it's almost like you can't kind of fit all of them in with enough screen time i mean even like stephen stephen mckinley henderson didn't even get to come back this is the is weird like, thing about so Dave, about Dave Bautista's character is this kind of like fail son lummox type, <laughs> and you and you and you and and it, he doesn't call re- Miyazaki. Wow, yeah, and and you and you and you don't really he doesn't he doesn't really betray that idea of like naturally he doesn't really betray that idea of bumbling idiot. Where the, whereas like yeah, I I maybe think the casting of his character is a little bit off because he is a kind of you know he's just generally a sort of stronger more authoritative guy in his in. His sort of general vibe, and in here, and here, he's meant to be playing like, "Oh, sorry, I've mucked up again, doll." You know, no, like. <laughs> I think it kind of, I think, I think it works, but I, I think he's so kind of like he tries so hard and fails so far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to quote Lincoln Park, um, I mean, I think a great bit of casting, which we've kind of, I, I assume, if they do another movie which i think they're kind of hoping villeneuve's villeneuve's hoping he can do another one um i think he uh, said that he basically wants to do obviously this is one book and then the next one Um, uh, yeah not to spoil it but like yeah that would that would actually even though there are more sequels that would be quite a a solid conclusion to the trilogy that's what he said it it would be the end of like a trilogy if he if he does the third one but like leia sadu like pops up for like a scene um and i assume that she would be like important so it's kind of like setting up an Anya Taylor-Joy's character, who I won't spoil who that is, but like, yeah, there's kind of things where you're like, oh, are they going to come back? Is this going to be like another extra thing? Um, so I did find that a bit like, damn it, now now like we need another one. Even the end of the film, you're like, oh, god damn it. Like, it, it's not like a definitive ending, which I get is the nature of the source material. But I mean, I, I don't... I genuinely don't care. Just had such a great time with it. I, <laughs> it is like... So we were talking about the film in our group chat and someone said, I can't remember who it was, one of my friends um, said, Denny Villeneuve is the only filmmaker who um, got better once they got big budget movies. <laughs> and um, I, I have to agree. I think he actually is one of the few filmmakers who really can work at that scale um, and like it not feel kind of overwhelming uh, or overwhelming to him. I mean, it's probably worth mentioning, like, you know, we talked a lot about the actors in the story, but like, yeah, his work and the design of the film and the and the scale. In a way, I mean, it's it's a it's a film where that mostly takes place. You know, a lot of the film is people talking in a desert, but then or he in does caves. Ha- or in caves, and then suddenly <laughs> you'll have this big set piece that is very in in a, in a weird way quite sparsely done. You know, it doesn't have all this kind of like you know he's not doing a kind of transformers type thing where you've got like it's just pure visual chaos you know there there is a kind of feng shui to the way he you know designs the frame i agree that it, i think it's maybe got more satisfying as it's gone on and you've seen you know it makes films like arrival and blade runner feel like kind of sand almost sort of like sand play sandboxes for 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 for, for the work that he's actually come and done here so mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I, I like Blade Runner 249, but yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to agree. I guess I think as much as I kind of came in having loved the first one and, you know, expected to be impressed, um, expected to find it interesting, I've, I've read the books, I was most shocked by just how much fun it was. Like, I love water skiing and <laughs> I want to ride a sandworm more than I want to do anything else on this planet. And like, I was thinking about it afterwards because I think at times it is so funny that I don't know that Villeneuve that I've ever <laughs> laughed in a Villeneuve film before aside from one moment in Sicario where they explained that Benicio del Toro's whole deal is that they dropped his family in a vat of acid <laughs> like you know I, yeah, I, I don't think the logistics of that yes unintentional but like it, it does seem like maybe you know like with that bigger budget with this sort of like freedom because everything he's done so far basically has worked that like he was just having a bit more fun with it all yeah I, I mean I think it I think so. We would, we kind of talked about this after the movie. Like, there's some bits in the film you're like, I don't know if he intended for that to be funny, but it is. But then there's also bits where you're like, oh, this is very clearly meant to be. There's like a beat, you know. And um, I think, yeah, certainly like because he didn't know if he was going to get to make this film. I think actually getting to do it must have kind of been, you know, a bit of a like, okay, we can loosen up and you know enjoy it, which is like good because the the Dune books fundamentally are kind of like wacky. like um very very serious but also like there's some there's some kind of mad stuff going on in them and even like paul been like what's that little rat mouse thing that you guys have in the desert i want to be called like rat mouse basically (laughs) yeah it's just really fun it is like at a time when i feel like i've been saying this for a year now or over a year but like it does feel like something that is going to get people into cinemas and we need a couple of those don't we every year we need like big get get the cinemas to pay their rent movies and uh yeah it's just it's just really fun we know we're talking from advantage of the film not having come out yet so we don't we don't know how it's going to do at the cinema but it does it, there is a you know maybe i'll eat my words on the on my next appearance but it does feel like this is going to be a huge thing yeah the first one the, i mean the first, the first one, one, did one did like well, did well ra- rather than a kind of mega 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 hit it was like a you know sizable hit yeah half a billion dollars yes but half a billion dollars plus Oscar nominations yeah. it's sort of like you that's kind the, of that's I the think... gravy but like you know it, it it really feels like we're kind of racking up examples of these like quality auteur driven blockbusters that aren't just like oh you come and make a film under our banner and do it by it by strictly ad- adhering to our brand guidelines you know it's actually like no you go you go and do your thing the thing that makes you you and people want that now and so like this could be quite a sort of like weirdly epochal film in many ways if it does well in that will we suddenly see a kind of like right we want we want the big directors who are current who are maybe currently being courted for like marvel movies to actually go and do their their kind of weird personal project or do a big blockbuster that with some big names that you might we might not have otherwise done but i guess that's that's kind of hope hopeful success so so often dictates what happens next like financial success i i've so long for the world that we once had where it was jurassic park not jurassic world dominion yeah (laughs) Mm. yeah i mean i guess like i we've got a couple coming down the pipeline um i'm interested to see what lee isaac chung does with tremors twisters Um, twisters oh god 
Sorry, I'm on the worms. I'm still yeah. thinking about giant worms. That's um, the transition the between the two. You have June, <laughs> tremors, twisters. On like a, a Venn yeah. diagram, <laughs> tremors is in the middle. Is um, it windy? Is it? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> We've cracked the code. How big are the um, worms? Yeah, I, I, um, I'm excited to see that. I mean, I think I'd, I'd rather take big, big auteurs doing just like a remake of some random or or a sequel in the case of Twisters, um, some random 80s film than like Marvel movies now. I'm just, just give me something like a little bit different. Although like I would love original blockbusters more than anything. It's, you know, I just, just I'm, I need kind of escapism. And I don't even think the Marvel movies are escapism now. I think it, it's just... The, They're the prisons. <laughs> they, they are, they are. They're the prisons. I want to go and like ride worms around with Timothy and Josh Brolin. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the sound bite. It's just so podcast. cool when not only, not only are they surfing the worms, but you can put up a little tent on the worms. <laughs> yes. So cool. But also you can be transported in a sort of like little womb by somebody also like at one point i was like the core strength of these people on the worms <laughs> is really something um, to behold they cannot lose i did think like the worms are, are kind of like i don't know like a sentient transport system because like it, it's, they're basically it, like, tube points, trains they're just like yeah they're like oh i'm just gonna go i'm just gonna go and call a worm <laughs> it's like an uber <laughs> <laughs> okay can't unsee that really excited to rewatch it with that framework um uh, let's get some scores on this uh david you want to go first in anticipation enjoyment and in retrospect yeah i'm probably gonna i'm gonna go for like probably like high fours across the board i i've got i have a few niggles with with bits and bobs of like especially i think that the, yeah the, the the finale of the film maybe feels a little bit underdone like it's one of those weird cases where i maybe would have liked to have added a few 10 15 minutes more just to kind of like ramp up the the sense of import of this kind of big final duel that happens in the film but it it it, it like the last the sort of final 45 minutes does happen in this kind of almost a little bit of a mad dash and just sort of goes like the, the first first two hours are so great that it that this final bit doesn't quite live up to them just because you're not getting the same interest in the detail and the world and the and the gizmos and the characters that you, you've kind of it's a rush of narrative and you and and it's it's just not quite as good so yeah like it's a it's a sort of a very a high a, 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 you know a high high recommendation but but not quite perfect scores hannah what about you um yeah i think i'm probably the same um for very similar reasons i just think yeah the, the final act which all context place in one room is a bit like oh shit we need to end the movie we've only got like 50 million dollars left quick uh put everyone in the same room and let's let's hash it out um but i was yeah i mean as i've made quite evident throughout this conversation i was very entertained and i am excited to watch it again and i think more films could do with like these sort of big swing performances and giant worms like you know just stick them in anything all of us strangers with giant worms imagine that We'll think of nothing else. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, not to be boring, but yeah, I think I'm about the same 444. I do think that there were some elements where, particularly like Chinese character is quite different 
from the book, particularly how she reacts to sort of the final twist in the tale. And I don't know that that was as empowering as they thought it would be. I kind of actually preferred um, how she originally was. Although Zendaya is fantastic throughout. Um, Yeah, I don't even really know what to say. Really fun time at the movies. I'm extremely happy that it exists. I disagree that Christopher Walken was good, but (laughs) Rebecca Ferguson letting her freak flag fly was, you know, like more than compensated that for me and I do I, I mean, one of my favourite moments was um, reminding the person sat next to me that wasn't you Hannah that uh, we did technically get naked Oscar Isaac in this one and um, <laughs> they leaned to me and said like oh I wonder who'll be naked in this one and good lord <laughs> <laughs> a choice is made there's <laughs> ah! <laughs> some jump scares in this <laughs> but next up it's Spaceman A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. An astronaut is sent to the edge of the solar system to collect mysterious ancient dust, finds his earthly life falling to pieces. He turns to the only voice who can help him try to put it back together. It just so happens that that belongs to a humanoid spider from the beginning of time lurking in the shadows of the ship. Before we get into the weird and wonderful world of Spaceman, here's Hannah Strong in conversation with Paul Dano and her beloved Adam Sandler. just a little guy on his journey He's like cuddly. me that's good it did that for me too i used to have a re- reoccurring dream okay. about spiders would wake up swat at things you know the whole really? thing like yeah, in the film like spiders. <laughs> so yeah. this is like therapy for you basically like i'm gonna confront it yeah, i'm gonna get in the mind of the spider make friends with it yeah. <laughs> um i guess i want to start about asking it's been a long time now this film's been in kind of in production and you both came to it at kind of different points in its life. I would love to hear about the first conversation you had with Johan about it. Adam, I know that this was like right before it was even kind of in production. Um, yeah. and I know Paul was a little bit later. So You mean like what, what the conversation was about floating around the whole time and stuff? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. How, how this was sold to you. <laughs> oh, well, I, I read this. I met Johan at a hotel. He was a cool dude, walked in with a cane, looked badass. <laughs> And, and then he said, I, I have a script you might like. I said, great, man, sent it over. I read it. I thought it was tremendous. And I said, you want me for this? And he said, yeah, 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 we'd have fun. And, we, and, it's, and I, it, just something about it really was 
fresh to me and and um, my relationship with Hanush was that was cool as hell. And so uh, I was in. And then two weeks before the shoot, uh, Johan said, you realize it's zero gravity, right? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and in my head, I was like, do we, do we have a place that we float around and stuff? I didn't realize. And then he said, well, so you'll be wired up the whole time. And I said, oh, God damn it. <laughs> I didn't know that. So that changed my whole, I should have bailed right then. It's funny because my first impression of Johan is this very big jacket he wore. Uh-oh. It might have been a fur jacket like your cane where right, I was like, right. oh, who is this guy <laughs> rolling in here with his... Uh, <laughs> he's cool. And, and he's a... Is he a former pop star or something? Yeah. Yes, Sweden? Yes, yeah, yes. yeah. All right. So he's still, you know, carrying Stock some of the style. Yeah, no, I'd seen his work and then the the, 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 the the script was great and strange. But sometimes a log line is like almost enough just where you kind of immediately know... So the idea of Adam Sandler on a spaceship talking to a giant spider, <laughs> it's kind of, right? Yeah, that was kind of I sold like, me straight okay, away. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The so second I that, had it was in that, production. That's yeah. how I felt. Right. <laughs> when someone comes to you and says, I want you to play the giant spider, the kind of world-weary, thousands of years old, you're like, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm down for that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and Adam, obviously, you were very integral to getting the film made because it's not the kind of film that many studios would take a chance on. And um, Paul, you've made a film, so I'm sure you know how difficult it is to get a film made. As two people who have been involved in producing, I'm very kind of curious to know how rewarding that kind of extra process is for you guys. Well, I'll tell you, we, uh, I, I expressed my excitement to the uh, Netflix team and and they had the same kind of enthusiasm right away and they were just it was just the look of it the the what what it could be or what what it the, i don't know it's just a new new vibe and uh they were excited so they were nice enough to say to jump on and be as enthusiastic as as we were mm. and Paul, for you is it you know kind of that production side of things how kind of rewarding is it for you to get to do that as well as the acting. Yeah, well, I think the more you put in, usually the more you get out. Yeah, no, you're The more involved you get to be in something, I generally think the more fun you end up having and Mm -hmm. and the more it gives back to you and the the more sort of proud you feel of of ultimately handing it over and and all of that. Um, So, yeah, that's that's a real pleasure. (laughs) Given that, you know, one of you is a CGI spider in the film, I imagine you didn't (laughs) spend a lot of time together on the set. No, but one of my one of my a really good memory for me because I, I was a huge fan of Adams, uh, his acting work. But I remember you know listening over and over again to his comedy <laughs> albums. You know, back when I was in middle school, That's awesome. you know ninety six, ninety seven. Those I mean, those were really important. Um, so the first time I think we met was on Zoom. Yeah, and I think we just started reading through the script to kind of see like what the hell is this thing. And yeah. that was really nice. It was a really nice way to break the ice. It was really yes. fun just to kind of hear it out loud. And we did, I think, several Zoom read-throughs, yeah. just kind of chatting yeah. through it and feeling it out. And um, so I stopped by, said a few times. But, yeah, I didn't ah. get to be there every day. When you did uh, stop by, though, it was like an extra great feeling of, Paul, I remember the last, uh, some of the last moments of the movie Paul was there for mm. and saying goodbye to each other and stuff like that. We, that was I was floating pretty far away from you, but no one, no one you were there felt good. Mm. <laughs> How do you kind of build? I mean, I guess, guess you kind of already addressed it, but when you don't have someone physically kind of opposite you as an actor, how do you manage to kind of get into that headspace and create the kind of chemistry without having 
physically someone opposite you? Because both of you have done VO work before. You kind of know how right. that all goes. Well, I I got to look. I mean, I, I worked to playback. You know, I mean, oh. we, we had several sessions of kind of working different ways, one with a kind of mask thing in case they needed to use facial expressions. and then, mm-hmm. But, you know, so I was working opposite the cut, you know. So, you got so to, I you was got working to. with Adam. It was just not, not in the flesh. And, again, we'd had these rehearsals. had come by set. Um, also, strangely, like being in a, in a dark room alone is very freeing. So I actually yeah. kind of liked it. I was kind of like, oh, this makes that. me feel loose, you know. Me too. Um, so me too, so yeah. I actually uh, found it to, 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 to be a lot of fun. <clears throat> me too, yeah. That's, yeah, you uh, kind of had your own little booth that you were in, which he, is the spaceship. <laughs> sure, exactly. And then I had to get to a lot. We, we went to interesting places in our brains. And uh, you had people pushing you around. Like, I mean, that's, that's true. a whole different bag because you're, you're sort of deluding yourself into... Yes. When yeah. there's four other people moving yeah, their wires. Feeling hands on you while you're, you're supposed you know. to be floating is, is um, you, you can break. That that went away after a day or two. The guys were great. They put on their outfits. They were hidden in green. I'd feel their hands on occasion moving me around and turning me and stuff like that. But um, a lot of times it was just in wires floating there alone. Johan would kind of set the camera up. Uh, in a way, from uh, like a crane, so the, the, everybody was maybe hundred feet away from me. I was I was in my own world. It was it was free and talking to um, Hanush and no one and and like you said, our rehearsals. We've we've I just I knew who was going to be there and I knew the voice and uh, and uh, it felt felt great. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess when you already kind of know, you've had your little rehearsals it's a little bit easier to visualize the tennis ball as yes yes that's right (laughs) (laughs) i guess maybe being put out there's so much about loneliness in this movie exactly well i was gonna ask about this because it it Mm -hmm. feels like your experience is making it being kind of separate like reflecting what's happening in the film that's right that's right (laughs) and kind of more generally did you feel like there was any kind of connection between the art of filmmaking itself and what's going on in the film because I, I feel like it can be a lonely kind of life you're traveling away a lot and it can be of, yes yes it does depending on how long a trip uh it is it can break your heart and, and you're sitting in a trailer missing uh, your everyday life but it's also very exciting mm. i think acting can be kind of lonely you're like prepping mm. alone in your hotel room or your trailer that's true, or like that's whatever true. and then you're always like who am i and you know yeah when is it enough? When is it enough? I say, am I ever enough? <laughs> <laughs> Will my grandma love me now? Yeah. A lot of that. Okay, really existential in your hotel room, guys. So. <laughs> and I mean, the voice for Hanush, I would love to kind of have an ASMR style, like audiobook thing, because I found it so, oh, yes. so soothing. Very soothing. Um, so for you, what was the kind of starting point? <laughs> with, plan. You know, okay. <laughs> get, get Johan, be like, you can, okay. do, you can produce it. He's got a music background. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about Jakob in a minute. But first with Hanush, like how, when someone says, here's this ancient, almost kind of a god figure, that spider. How do you kind of then think, okay, right, what would that sound like? Well, there was something... um, He felt a bit like a doula to me or something. Mm -hmm. So I think a sort of calm, um, experienced, you know, sort of wisdom, gentle touch, um, some kind of spiritual guide, right? So um, I think, again, just in our little rehearsals just started sort of intuitively in that direction. And then I think I remember testing with Johan, could it be more? And I think it felt um, 
best when it, it sort of lived in the, the, the simplest, calmest place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and nothing threw off Hanush. Nothing got him no, riled up. No, <laughs> little, no. little case of uh, disappointment on occasion. A little case of disappointment, <laughs> and I think that Nutella got him a little. Yeah, yeah. Little, he liked it. <laughs> little, little, little worked up, but yeah. Even getting like, you know, what's it like? De desanitize. What's the word? You know, like. You, oh sure, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Took it very well. I wouldn't handle that with kind of such serenity. You know, someone spraying me with bacterial spray, I'd be like. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he had the power, right? He's like, oh, this sweet little guy is scared. Skinny human. Yeah. But I, I know what's up. Very skinny human at the time. <laughs> <laughs> at the time, you should call him that. <laughs> and for Jakob, obviously, you know, the, the, the book is an incredible resource as well. But um, for you, what was your kind of process going in with finding kind of the headspace he's in and the character? I, I listen to Johan a lot. I, I I did call the author of the book. He's a very nice guy, and he told me told me a lot of thoughts he was having when he wrote the book. And then Johan told me what he was thinking when he worked on the screenplay. And all you know, you just hear you take pieces from every everybody throughout the process, and then eventually you commit to your own thoughts. And that's that's how we did it. I mentioned earlier, kind of both of you have worked in voice work. You know how that goes now but I was curious to know if there's any kind of ways your process differs when you're doing live action versus voiceover if it's kind of still prepping in the same way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean I sort of uh, I, I sort of want to lie and say that but I, I no I, I do think like it's going in front of people is scarier and I think <laughs> I probably do yeah. Just do more. It's just, it's a whole different bag. It really is. You know, be, once be you're alone in a booth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Blue, there's a lot of freedom there. And it's sort of, uh, I don't know. That that I really, I've, I've, I've not done a ton of it. And, and I, I was surprised how much I enjoyed that. You don't feel like space. you're wasting anybody's time if you screw up in the booth. You say, <laughs> let me go again. When you screw up with a crew of 200, you're like, I'm, I apologize, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> A kind of key, but we've mentioned it already a little bit, but a key bonding moment between Jakob and Hanush in the film is when Jakob introduces Hanush to Nutella, which is <laughs> re- like watching a baby in a towel for the first time. It's very, very sweet. <laughs> um, I'm curious to know if you had to introduce a giant benevolent spider to any earthly kind of product. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. What course. would that be? Wow. Nutella's <laughs> Nutella is up there. You have Nutella to is really good. I mean, the first two things coming to mind are, are just a, a, a really fine piece of sushi. Oh, nice! And then the, sort of the opposite, <laughs> like a like just like a simple bowl of cereal. Yes, <laughs> like quarter pounder would be nice. Oh wow! Imagine <laughs> quarter pounder. How wonderful that would be for this spider. Oh yeah. You'd have to go like explain the whole concept. Does the spider know what like a pound is like? Yeah, this spider in particular knows the pound, but didn't know the taste of the quarter pound. It wouldn't, wouldn't, but would probably say like, "How did this happen? Why are the onions tasting so good?" <laughs> That's the proper amount of ketchup. By the time you finish going through it all with them, like the whole world's ended already. Like, oh, okay, yes. well, <laughs> had a good final moment together. My final kind of question: um, sci-fi more generally feels like a very kind of. I mean, it presents these infinite possibilities for kind of. Exploring Boring emotion. I'm curious if you have any kind of favorite sci-fi movies. Oh, well, Sorry, I'm putting you on the spot a bit there. Uh, <laughs> there's a bunch. I remember watching, man, I watched some good ones Saturday afternoons with my father. I remember laying in bed, putting on like, 
jeez, I can't come up with the titles right now. I remember the the fifth. Is it the the fifty foot woman? Oh yeah, right. The attack of the fifty. Yeah, is that? Yeah, I remember something like, like that. Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah. Actually, that was fantastic. <laughs> Every everything. Uh, Soylent Green. What 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 is the uh, what is the one with the Burt Lancasters? Soylent Green is people. Yeah, Soylent Green is made of people. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was big. How about you? What are some of yours? I think mine are more more obvious and boring than that. I mean, yeah, I, I like space is cool. So space <laughs> is really cool. Yeah, Alien in two thousand one, of course, or like that was um, a good but like grounded sci fi, like Children of Men, even or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. like the, you can go a lot of different directions with it. Um, mm-hmm. But I do I do like watching space. <laughs> and now you're in space. It's yeah. great. Yeah. He's very uh, comfortable in space. <laughs> Anoush floats around, feels nice. Mm. Doesn't feel have the wires. Yeah. Mm. He was wireless. I know. How did you do this? <laughs> avoided the wires. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Good job. Thank uh, you. So, Hannah, I think we, sh- we should specify that you were not swayed. You saw and loved this film. <laughs> Before the Adam Sandler interview carrot was dangled in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I saw this before I thought that would ever happen because I have kind of since the beginning of my career, like one, well, since I was like eight years old, probably realistically wanted to meet Adam Sandler. Um, He is, despite everything, one of the reasons I love movies as much as I do. And I've always been an ardent defender of his and I campaign very heavily for the uncut gems issue which obviously went ahead but we weren't able to speak to him for that and he doesn't do a lot of press is is, is the simple thing so um i didn't think that would ever happen but it did it did and it was great and the interview kind of speaks for itself he's a lovely guy and and i think a very deep thinker a lot deeper than people ever want to give him credit for which is kind of an old you know we've been doing that adam sander can act like you know surprised emoji like conversation for years now and it's just like yeah we, we know we, we we have known but in the case of spaceman i mean i was already really interested in the film because um i'd read the book and i thought the book was really like weird and delightful and it just seemed like the kind of thing that i've always wanted to see on a, on a big screen but like it, it just sounds kind of okay so it's set in space and there's a giant talking spider how are you going to do that in a way that doesn't like just instantly become a comedy but the film is very much yeah not a comedy and um it's i found it like incredibly moving this like story of this man who is very much like weighed down by his past and like his own relationship with his father kind of dealing with the idea of like honor and loneliness and letting someone into your life and kind of (laughs) it reminds me of like that like joke that was kind of doing the rounds when first man came out about like men would literally rather go to space than deal with their emotions like (laughs) which is kind of exactly what happens in this film but yeah it ends up being like this very sad and sweet tale about this man dealing with his trauma through this relationship he builds with a with a very lovely asmr sounding talking spider who encounters him and decides he wants to learn about like humanity from um this this cosmonaut and he he uh, shares nutella with him and teaches him about that and uh, they kind of yeah they they get to know each other and it's you get all the kind of information about Jakob's like life and backstory through these kind of 
flashbacks that the spider Hanush is like prompting. So, it, you know, you're kind of coming to know him pretty much at the same time as this giant spider is. And I, yeah, I mean, dad stuff always gets me. I, I have like, sure. I talked about this on the podcast before, like, you know, I, I, I find it very affecting and something like Ad Astro, I think is like a very kind of relevant, like point of comparison. I don't know what it is about like space. <laughs> like seems to dad's be good... going into space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dad's going into space seems to be kind of like fertile ground in the last decade. But, um, yeah, I think it really works. I think Sansa is such an unusual choice for this part. And I think that some people might say he's miscast. Maybe in another world, this would have been like an Oscar, you know, Oscar contender. But um, I think he does a really good job. I think he balances that kind of like sadness and pathos with the kind of inherent like goofiness of a giant spider in a spaceship. And I think that Johan Renk has made a film that really um, has a very distinct like feel and look to it. And um, it was so interesting, like talking to him for the pieces online, because he said, well, whenever I make a movie or a TV show, I ban people from like uh, bringing in pictures from other films and TV shows, because I don't want my product to ever feel like something that they've seen before. And I was just like, at some point you can't avoid it, man. Like it just happens. But um, I think, yeah, that very clear effort to try and like challenge himself as a filmmaker is kind of um interesting to me and i mean before i let david speak i will just say as well like shout out to max richter and sparks because um the score for this is like great in my opinion and then there's a song at the end which uh, max richter did with sparks which is great and i think way better than anything that ever gets to win an oscar so that's that's my two cents yeah i I very much in the can for this one I, i really really loved it um i also was very lucky enough to talk to johan and he's a, he's an incredible interview and i was very excited for the two of you to to get to talk but um yeah i'm surprised you'd think of this as ever being kind of like oscary because it's such a weird <laughs> little thing i mean we're talking about paul dana voicing a dax hand sized spider <laughs> no, with a not, child's he's mouth sun, he's massive no, they- isn't he when do they specify Mastiff. that in the book? Well, yeah, but in, in in the book. Oh, sorry, I've mixed up my dog yeah. breeds. He's, he's, he's a dog. Oh, <laughs> Somewhere between Chihuahua it. and. and <laughs> well, I think it's a little bit My Neighbor Totoro, isn't it? Where it's just like seen to seen like this. And they, the size of him is debatable. <laughs> so, my my mum always quotes that bit from um, Father Ted, you know, with the cows, where they're like, oh, are they small or very far away? <laughs> it's like watching the film, it's like, is, is he a small spot? or is it the spaceship that's small like I, mm-hmm. I, I i'm not entirely sure but um, um another one of life's I, big questions being asked <laughs> i don't know if the film i would consider like oscar but definitely that role you know lonely cosmonaut like i think it's very oscar but yeah i mean I, I i'm glad it's not i'm glad it, it's its own thing it, i don't think it's trying to be awards bait or anything David, for like for you, like this is Adam Sandler, arguably at his least Adam Sandlery. Did that uh, <laughs> yeah. work for you? I mean, I, I'm sort of, you know, I, I think when I saw it, my instant reaction to it was sort of trying to think back to whether he'd ever done anything this kind of like fully serious before. There are sort of few, if any, gestures towards comedy. I mean, sometimes with someone like Sandler, who is just inherently funny, his mere presence, him just talking and and just you know you just see a photograph of him walking down the street and it's like 
it brings us a, a little kind of wry smile to your face. And, you know, this film is, is very much, a, you know, we, we, we're kind of extracting this image and, 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 and trying to sort of like flip, flip reverse it for, for, for the needs of this film. And there's, there's nothing. I mean, yeah, I, ca- I can't remember, you know, it, it's hard to remember a, a, a comedy actress going so fully in the tank of something that is so serious. But that's not to say, like, I think the, the film's tone, which is more kind of like, you know, it has a sort of like ethereal, dreamlike energy to it lots of flashbacks you know there is a you know it's an emotional film as well i mean it is all about a kind of you know essentially about a, a man being partitioned from his wife by the the time and space between them in in in, in, in on earth and earth and in, and in this spaceship you know it's this idea of like he is there to he is there to do this job and there is a kind of company uh you know there's a bureaucracy who are maintaining him and trying to sort of like make sure he is in a kind of mental state to be able to carry out his important duties because if he can't there is no there is no kind of backup there so it is all about you know while you've got this kind of you know he's he's kind of relaying these memories of of his relationship with his like you know his quite sort of tumultuous relationship with his wife there's all this other stuff going on at the same time about the sort of management of his psyche in many ways and that's that's kind of interesting but yeah i mean you know, it's it. I, 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 if I'm being honest, I probably would. Pref, you know, I prefer the kind of the the cheeky chappy and Adam Sandler rather than the sort of the, you know the sort of so, the stone faced serious Adam Sandler. Like, I wouldn't have like said no to a few little dashes of the the sort of everyman humor that he brings to kind of all of his roles. You know, even you know, I don't think a, a film like uncut his role in uncut gems is not it's not a comic role but it is hilarious you know it's like you know just just because of the way he plays it and 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 does it um but yeah you don't you don't this is this is like fully fully serious sandler fss i i feel like i don't know whether i mean because i really like jazz but like sometimes i think jazz kind of is assumed to just sort of be like a, a little chaotic and very like instinctual and not have like that technical edge and this can be a real joy sometimes in watching um a jazz musician then kind of switch into doing like a very classic performance because then you kind of can see that the jazz itself is like a choice do you know what i mean i think there's something in like sandler making himself wholly disappear in this part that like makes kind of recontextualizes the other performances in a way that makes them even more fun. But, the, but I mean, it's proof that I think that he he's not just a common, you know, he's, I think people would have in the 90s and not maybe early noughts pegged him as this kind of comedy actor and he does Happy Madison films and they come out on Netflix and they're very silly and they, and they kind of serve a very spe- specific function. But, you know, I think that lately he's proving and not in this kind of contrived way of like i've got something to prove it's 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 done in a very kind of natural and very like you know the projects he's picked are sort of strangely high quality that where he's sort of showing you know i can i can do you know i can do all these other things like the 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 the, the comedy is actually part of the performance it's not just like you know a thing a thing that comes naturally to me so like you know, I think that this that the film uh, does does offer this showcase of his like breadth of, of, of a, as a performer, but in a way that's not a kind of like that's the reason for the film to exist. I need I need something to fan out my CV. You know, this it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't have like the sweatiness of like the reconnaissance. I think. Yeah, because I mean, I don't think he's going. He he he's not like trying to win an award or anything. You know, he's just like. 
oh, this seems interesting to me. I'm going to do something different. And I think that's very admirable. And I think that also the fact that he's the entire reason the film got made, because Johan has said, like, I didn't know how I was going to finance this. And then Adam Sandler came along and said, oh, don't worry about it. Like, I have a production deal with Netflix. We'll get it made. I mean, you know, we, we do hear about these stars who are willing to kind of literally put their money where their mouth is to get films that wouldn't get made made and you know i think that is like a very valuable thing to have you know he does his silly comedies with the fart jokes and projectile vomiting or whatever but he also is like well i'm not just gonna make those i'm gonna get netflix to put their cash behind this like weird two-hour space film about a giant spider and i think also it challenges the audience you know i think that it is like asking you if you're not like familiar with Adam Sandler or don't kind of buy him as like a serious actor for whatever reason, it is saying to you, look, like <laughs> kind of sit down and shut up and and, and, and watch this and, uh, you know, challenge yourself to actually kind of pay attention. And it was interesting because I, I saw this on my own and, you know, I think there was kind of safety in that. And I could cry as much as I wanted because I cry at everything. But um, I was talking to our, our friend of the pod, half a, a sales Ross about this and she saw it at Berlin and was like, oh, people were laughing in the audience. And I think that's a kind of like, it's almost like a laziness. It's like, okay, are you laughing because it's funny or just because it's Adam Sandler and that's what you expect to do? So I think, like, you know, I I, I like this kind of subversive casting with, like, intent. It's not just doing it to be, like, shocking. I think there's such a reason and a purpose behind it. And I, I'm really glad that Johan sees in Sandler, like, the potential and kind of wants to... Um, not necessarily like change the narrative, but wants to kind of make something interesting with him. Yeah, I, I sobbed, but I wasn't entirely sure why I was sobbing. But what <laughs> of, of all the reasons to sob, that I think is probably the best one. Um, but do you want to get some <laughs> scores on this, Hannah, in anticipation, enjoyment, and in retrospect? Uh, yeah, I think it's maybe a four, 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 maybe. Might go up to five in retrospect. I did watch it a second time. And again, like I really, really liked it. It didn't kind of dim any. Um, I think maybe the kind of, some of the dialogue's not great, but, but more between Carrie Mulligan and Adam Sandler. I think like their scenes are a little bit, I don't know, a little bit kind of awkward. Um, I think she may be miscast. I don't think she's as miscast here as she is in Maestro, but like she's still like, yeah, I think it maybe would have been the, the age gap's a bit awkward. Like, you know, she's 20 years younger than him. It's not like a awful, it's not criminal, but it's like, you know, it could just be, I don't know. It's well, this is the awkward. future. Who knows what makeup, <laughs> uh, what kind of lotions and potions are available to the women of the world. They should have had Isabella Rossellini in, in her role. That would have been like, so good. that would have been insanely good. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it, Paul Dano is great as well. We didn't even kind of talk about how good he is doing his, uh, ASMR spider voice and yeah I just think it's it's something very different and for Netflix we know how bad some of their original filmmaking could be so it's great that they're actually you know kind of still trying to push the envelope a little bit and, and put like really interesting stuff out there. David what about you? I'm probably going to go slightly less and do a, I'm going to do a 4-3-3. I was excited to see it. I saw it after Hannah had seen it. And, you know, I think she she sort of pitched it to me in a really interesting way. I felt that like, it like my, my, I think my issue with it is that it sounds this really intriguing and well, well articulated note. But then I, I feel it maybe kind of replays the note a little bit too much and, and maybe by the final act, 
it kind of it's for me personally i think that i think that the final act maybe has a sort of results may vary vibe to it in that i i kind of found it quite maudlin and 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 it was sort of quite aggressively trying to get me to to react to it and 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 that sort of like maybe pushed me away a little bit but um but no i think it's a you know i agree with everything you're saying i think it's it's a really interesting well-designed film you know it's like wow you know we're seeing an adam sandler film that's that feels like a kind of direct inspiration from like solaris you know it's quite it's quite a quite a feat um yeah i think i'm probably at a three four four a big fan of sandler's but it um you know it it did sound a little bit kind of you know self-consciously weird when i was reading what it was going to be about yeah i just I, i i kind of just got on its wavelength whatever that might be and like sure there are strange elements and i agree the final act i think might alienate a few because it really does go to some unhinged places but i've you know i've been texting hannah ever since like i miss hanush I I can't wait to see Hanush again. (laughs) (laughs) I want a spider spirit guide. I think we could all do with that. I think most of the world's problems and certainly the (laughs) issues of the Berlin Film Festival would be solved if people could just get into a room for one hour with Hanush. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Um, yeah, before we go, we've got one last thing. You guys are going to give us your non-movie recommendations. So, David, aside from the movies, what are you recommending? Well, this is a bit of a weird one. So, like, the, I, I wouldn't say this is necessarily a hard recommendation, but every Saturday I take my uh, five-year-old daughter to street dance classes, and uh, she dances for an hour. And at the end of and at the end of the term, they do a big performance. And um, last week, I discovered that the big theme of the next performance is tv's gladiators and so and so <gasps> they they're doing songs from tv's gladiators so like they're, they're doing like i got the power and another one bites the dust and so uh, on the way home we were walking home together and she's like what is the gladiators daddy and i'm like that's a good question <laughs> and i think the best way for me to explain that is to just show show it to you because i don't think i i'm not sure i'm going to explain it in a way that's going to going to going to be be meaningful for you so we got back home and and went on to uh, onto iplayer and uh, and we watched a, 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 one of the new gladiators and we had quite a, and, and had a fun time doing it and she, and uh, and she completely understood what it was and then i had to tell her that i watched this as a kid like 30 years ago and it was different people who were all you know oaps now <laughs> and probably not as uh, I wonder what happened to wolf yeah the wolf <laughs> the wolf man um but yeah um but yeah, it was so. It's the 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 revi- my, my non film recommendation is the revival of uh, TV's Gladiators. Did not see that coming. Neither, neither did I. Great recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, what about you? Um, I 
David already probably knows what I'm going to recommend. So I got a PlayStation 5 last week, which has been a long time coming. And I have been playing uh, Baldur's Gate 3, which is a um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons style turn-based RPG game. Really, really doing myself so many favors this week to Nolan like a nerd. Um, and you know what? I'm having I a great read time. June, so um, still, still cool. <laughs> I'm having a great time with it. Uh, my character is a half wood elf rogue and he is very handsome and very stupid um which is what i was going for and it's worked out really well um he's a himbo himbo wood elf who doesn't have a clue what is going on at any time um but he's very persuasive this all kind of anyway people that have played it and are listening will understand what i'm talking about but um yeah no i'm having a great time i keep dying a lot one of the good features of the game is that you can talk to any animal and it has like a narrator who like narrates your actions in the game and it so if you like <laughs> there's one bit where it's like there's a squirrel that runs past and you can talk to the squirrel and it's like you talk to the squirrel the squirrel bears its teeth and tries to uh, tries to bite your foot <laughs> and it's just like it's just stuff like that it's just really silly but there's this kind of really involved storytelling going on and there's lots of decision making and you can play the game in a lot of different ways so you can talk yourself out of fights or just kind of go in all guns blazing and yeah it just it just really plays to my kind of the side of me I'm, I'm i'm a big like choose your own adventure type person those books were like my life as a kid so uh so yeah i'm really really enjoying Baldur's gate 3 well this is the generational divide you were reading choose your adventure books i was watching gladiators <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, thank you both very much for uh, your recommendations and for all of your insights uh, this week. Next week, I get to say next week and not next time. Hurrah! Uh, it's Do Not Expect Much from the End of the World and we spoke to its director, Rowdy Jude. Ava Verno takes on cast and origin and for Film Club, we revisit Elia Kazan's Pinky. Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were David Jenkins and Hannah Strong. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Bob Stankus. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.